Section 4 of the Story of the First Transcontinental Railroad by William Francis Bailey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Commencement of the Work. Selection of Omaha as Eastern Terminus. Celebration over Breaking Ground. Speech, George Francis Train. Commencement of Work. Conditions, October 1864. Routes Considered. The first move towards the construction of the road was the selection of an eastern terminus, which by the charter was left to the President of the United States. This was fixed by President Lincoln on December 2, 1863, the official announcement being as follows. I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do, upon application of said company, the Union Pacific Railroad, designate and establish such first above-named point on the western boundary of the state of Iowa, east of and opposite to the east line of Section 10 in Township 15, north of Range 13, east of the 6th Principal Meridian in the Territory of Nebraska. Done at the City of Washington this seventh day of March, in the year of our Lord, 1864, Abraham Lincoln. Immediately upon receipt of advice as to the President's action on December 2nd, 1863, the citizens of Omaha, regardless of their connection with the road, arranged to break ground for the Union Pacific Railroad and to properly celebrate the commencement of the work and especially the selection of their city as the eastern terminus, which was accordingly done. The spot selected for the initial point was near the ferry landing, and not far above where the Union Pacific shops are now located. This particular spot, with the first mile of track constructed, was long ago swept away by the Missouri River. The ceremonies were commenced by asking the divine blessing on the enterprise in a prayer by the Reverend T. B. Lemon, pastor of the First Methodist Church in Omaha. The reverend gentleman petitioned that the road make one the people of the East and West, that it would result in peopling the waste places of the West, that it might lend security to those on the frontier and other similar requests, all of which have been fulfilled to a degree that is past being coincidental. The first earth was then removed by Governor Saunders of Nebraska Territory, Mayor Kennedy of Omaha, George Francis Train, and others assisting. Congratulatory messages were received from different parts of the country. Speeches were made by A.J. Poppleton and others, the day being wound up by a banquet in the evening. The speech of the day was delivered by George Francis Train, then in his heyday, which is so characteristic of the man and of the ideas, then prevalent relative to the road and the results of its construction, as to warrant the following somewhat lengthy extracts. I have no telegrams to read, no sentiments to recite, the official business being over, and as I happen to be lying around loose in this part of the country at this particular time, it gives me a chance to meet some of the live men of Nebraska at the inauguration 
of the grandest enterprise under God the world had ever witnessed. America is the stage, the world the audience of today, while one act of the drama represents the booming of cannon on the Rapidan, the Cumberland, and the Rio Grande. Sounding the death knell of rebellion, the next scene has the booming of cannon on both sides the Missouri to celebrate the grandest work of peace that ever engaged the energies of man. The Great Pacific Railroad is commenced, and if you know the men who have hold of the enterprise as well as I do, no doubt would arise as to its speedy completion. 4,000 years ago, the pyramids were started, but they simply represented the vanity of man. The Chinese wall was grand in conception, but built to break the tide of invasion. The Suez Canal was gigantic, but how limited all those things appear in comparison to this enterprise. Before the first century of our nation's birth, we may see in the New York depots some strange Pacific Railroad notices such as European passengers for Japan will please take the night train. Passengers for China this way. Africa and Asiatic freight must be distinctly marked for Pekin via San Francisco. Here ten years ago by I intend to let the European traveler get a new sensation by standing on the ridgepole of the American nation and sliding off into the sea. One day a dispatch will come in. We have tapped a mountain of copper, 19 miles square. Later on, we have just opened up another field of coal, or we have struck another iron mountain this morning, when Eureka, a telegram, electrifies the speculators in Wall Streets and gold drops below par. At 10 this morning, we struck a pick into a mountain of solid gold. The Pacific Railroad is the nation, and the nation is the Pacific Railroad. Labor and capital shake hands today. The lion and the lamb sleep together. Here in the West are the representatives of labor, and in the East are those of capital. The two united make the era of progress. Steam, gas, and electricity are the liberty, fraternity, and equality of the people. The world is on the rampage. Events are earthquakes now. Ten millions of immigrants will settle in this golden land in 20 years. Early in 1864, work was begun on the first hundred miles. The actual work being commenced within the corporate limits of Omaha in February. About $100,000 was spent in grading a due westerly route out of Omaha. This was abandoned on account of it being so hilly, and a route south and thence west was adopted. The ties for this section were cottonwood from the Missouri River bottomlands, treated with a view of making them last. It was found that the treatment was not effective, and for the balance of the road, hardwood ties from Michigan, Indiana, and even as far east as Pennsylvania were used. Some of them costing as much as $2.50 laid down in Omaha. At this time, there were no railroad completed into Omaha from the east, the Chicago and Northwestern being the first to reach there. And its first train ran into Council Bluffs on Sunday, January 17, 1867. Consequently, all supplies 
other than those coming to them via the Missouri River, had to be wagoned from Des Moines, Iowa, 133 miles. On the Missouri River, the company had in service six large steamboats carrying supplies and material for construction from Kansas City, where there was railroad connection with the east by way of the Hannibal and St. Joseph Railroad and the Missouri Pacific Railroad. Everything had to be brought in, the country being destitute of even stone and lumber, involving great expense and delays. While the level country enabled rapid progress to be made in grading, it was almost impossible to bring forward the requisite material to keep up with the graders and track layers. The contract for the first hundred miles had been let May 1864 to Hubert M. Hoxie. By its terms, he was to receive securities to the face value of $50,000 per mile. Sidings were to be not less than 6% of the main line. Station buildings, water tanks, and equipment was to be furnished by him to the value of $5,000 per mile. Hoxie before this had been in the employ of the company in charge of the ferry between Omaha and Council Bluffs. In March 1865, his contract was transferred to the Credit Mobilier Company, which, as has been previously stated, was organized by the promoters and insiders of the railroad company to do the actual construction. Several experiences with individual contractors had demonstrated that they could not be relied upon. In fact, that it required more in the way of capital influence and omnipresence than any individual could exert. Consequently, all original contracts for the construction and equipping of the line were handled by the Credit Mobilier, who subcontracted it with firms and individuals. They, by their close relationship with the company and financial interests, as well as by their wide ramification, being able to purchase materials and supplies to better advantage. Everything was still held at war prices. Iron, ties, lumber, provisions, etc. While currency and the government bonds on which they were relying were greatly depreciated in value. Labor was scarce and only to be had at extravagant figures. In the report of one of the government inspectors made in 1864, when the grading had progressed some 20 miles out of Omaha, he stated, There are now some 200 men employed on the work and a like number of horses and oxen, together with two excavating machines that are doing the work of many men. It is confidently expected that this section, the first 40 miles, will be ready to be laid with rails by June 1st next. This he regarded as very commendable, but as compared with four years later, when they were nearly 12,000 men engaged and track was going down from 2 to 10 miles a day, it seems anything else but satisfactory. A great amount of the preliminary work in the way of reconnaissance, surveying, and even locating was done under governmental auspices previous to 1860, most of it by officers of the Army. All of their reports and surveys were by action of Congress given to the railroad company, 
thus saving them greatly in time as well as in money. In addition to the government surveys, the company investigated and did more or less surveying before deciding upon the route to be followed through the Rockies. In the report of the government directors for 1866, they refer to the following eight routes as having been investigated during the preceding year by the company. These, first, via South Platte River and Hoosier Pass. Second, via Platte River and Terriol Pass. Third, via North Fork of South Platte River. Fourth, via Berthode Pass. Fifth, via Boulder Pass. Sixth, via Cache Les Podre Dale Creek and Antelope Pass. Seventh, via Evans Pass. Eighth, via Lodge Pole Creek, Cow Creek, and Evans Pass. Ninth, Lodge Pole Creek and Cheyenne Pass. Tenth, via Lodge Pole Creek and South Pass. The first seven of these routes included Denver and route, something that the company considered essential and which was very reluctantly abandoned. End of section four. Recording by Paul Harvey.